0: As we consider the missing key to a purposeful life, I cannot leave out the reality of what God emulated through His Son, demonstrated in His life, and then desires for us to replicate in our lives. Jesus came to call the sinner to righteousness and to show the self-righteous their sin. Or as a layman put it many years ago, Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to make a difference in our world. And we've got a lifetime to do it. And we've got an eternity to reflect on it. And it's important for us to understand the concept of the hospital. What I mean by that is we've all been to a hospital before. We know that they have many different levels of care there. And when you find people in a hospital, some are in excellent condition, getting better. Uh, Some are mending. Some are broken, and they're just finding out what's wrong with them. And a church is a hospital because we all come to church at different levels of need. We're seeking God. We're trying to find a relationship with Him that will last and one that will make a difference in our lives and the lives of those round about us. But so often we end up cloistered away in our corner and forget about the bigger picture, which is simply this. We have a ministry to those round about us, not just in church, but at work, at home, at school, in the world, in our neighborhood. And God requires of us to fulfill that. One Sunday evening, the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, took his teenage son, Bramwell, out for a walk. And as they walked, they walked by a tavern, and William Booth did something his son had never seen before. He said, come on, let's go in. And they go into the tavern. Bramwell was terrified. He saw what he'd never seen before. He saw, in reality, the loudness of the crowd, the music, the singing, the drinking, the smell of, of tobacco in the room, and just the, the, the reality of the life that was there. And he looked at that, and, and he said, Father, can we go now? Why did you bring me here? What's the point of all this? William Booth looked his son right in the eye, and he said, Son, these are our people. These are the ones that we're supposed to love. I want you to understand that these are your people and you must bring them to Christ. They're the ones that matter. And Bramwell said as an old man, he said, I never forgot that lesson. It was a lesson that I needed to learn. It's one that changed my life. And, and Matthew, I mean, Mark chapter 2 is about that lesson. This passage is a beautiful picture of our Lord's compassion and love for the lost. He looked on people and he cared about them. He did not see their sin. He saw their future. And he understood the difference that he could make. Jesus is calling us to live a life that is not convenient at all. Not simply mastered or learned. And it's never easy. But it's a life that makes a difference in those round about us. We may never be on the stage or written about on the front page of a paper. That doesn't matter. We're not trying to please the world. We're desiring to please God and to be obedient to Him. To find that purpose in life that fulfills us. And if if you and your life have an emptiness there, it just seems like something's missing. It may be something as simple as being obedient to Christ and what He's called you to do. What does God call us to do as followers of His Son? What is our relationship in that hospital setting? We have doctors in our church. We have nurses. We have people that have worked in administration for many years at the hospital. We also have pink ladies. And I appreciate them. Because they meet a very special need there. Of kindness and courtesy and direction and support. When you are in and out of the hospital. Everybody plays a role there. And we need to find what our role is in the hospital of God's kingdom in Selma, Alabama. Because far too many people are around to watch the activity, but they're not participants. And in church, there's really no one sitting in the audience watching what's going on down here. The audience is in heaven, and God is observing what we're doing. We're on the stage of life, and He is meticulously watching and observing. And one day there'll be a judgment that we don't often like to talk about, the judgment of the deeds done in the body, called the Bema Seat of Christ. And that is when everything we do in this life will be looked at. So what I'm talking about today is the reality of, are you prepared to give where you need to give? Because you are the hands and the feet of Jesus. First, I want you to realize this. Jesus calls us to love the lost as He does without judging them. You know, judgment's a funny thing. Judgment only comes at the end of a behavior. That's when you judge. You don't get your final exams on the first day of the semester. You don't get your report card at the beginning of school and your grade class, you get it at the end. And you're not judged in a court of law until after the fact. And God is judging what we do, and He's observing what we will, will, our behavior is in a realistic way. Jesus isn't selective. Have you noticed that? He picks sinners who are broken, hurting, sad, despondent. Some of them mad and angry. And he reaches out to them and he offers them something that will change their life. He can use anybody. Levi was a tax collector. Now let me explain what that was. Levi was an IRS auditor times ten. Because not only did he acquire and take from the people money, he represented not just the Jewish people, he represented Herod, Antipas, Antipas. And the Roman Empire. He was one of the worst sorts of fellow. Before we heard of Benedict Arnold, they knew Levi. And a lot of them didn't trust him. But Jesus called him because Jesus sees no one beyond his salvation, no one that, that is so broken that they can't be saved. Jesus uses sinners to proclaim His Word. Think about that. Some people don't come to church because they said, I need to clean my life up before I come to church. Jesus says, come to church and I'll clean you up. Some people say, I'm not good enough to go to church. And Jesus says, I don't want human goodness. I want you as you are. Of all the beautiful songs and hymns that we sing in this church, my favorite will always be, Just As I Am. It has something to do with Billy Graham, I'm sure. But it has a lot to do with how Jesus invites us to come to Him, just as we are. We don't need to clean ourselves up or change anything or work on our vocabulary. You don't believe that? Come to the Mavericks. The Mavericks say, Just As You Are. And it's amazing how they over the 50 plus years of, of their doing the ministry they do over there, it's amazing that they've reached people that no one else could reach. They've made them feel welcome and comfortable. If they enjoyed being insulted, they insulted them. They, they still do that. I, 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 if I don't get a certain dosage of that during a month, I feel left out. You do it well. You do it well. And we're on our... Just about third generation of folks serving there, and it's wonderful. And always give Mr. Bill Mott a report and tell him, you'd be proud of your guys. They're doing ministry just as the early group designed it and y'all wanted. You see, that's how we reach people. Not by telling them to come in and conform to the image of what we imagine Jesus is like. 20 years ago, I would have never dressed like this in the pulpit. In fact, I'll say this. I wouldn't have dressed this way when your mother was alive because she chewed me out. The, 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 the worst chewing I've received in 10 years here when I wore blue jeans one Sunday night to a meal. And Elizabeth Drigger says, a preacher is not supposed to look like that. And I didn't argue with her because you never want an argument with her. But the reality is... You want people to feel comfortable that come in. You want people to feel like they're blending, that they're accepted. It's important for us to do this. Harold, you did something the other day, and I absolutely loved it. You didn't go speak to someone sitting a few rows in front of you. You went and got them and asked them to sit with you. That's what we all need to do. Well, you're going backwards, Harold. You're going backwards. Uh, now, 50 years ago, that happened here a lot. <laughs> the reality is we need people that feel loved and accepted to be here. And we need to make them loved and accepted. I, I, I grew up watching what some of you watched. And it was a show that was, sadly, it was about a bar. But the reality was in the song, theme song of that, it said, Don't you want to go where everybody knows your name? I do. I like, to be, I like to be called by my name. I like for people to come up and speak to me. Uh, I like to be picked on every once in a while, John Moore. You know that. Sometimes that's the best attention you can get when you can get no attention. God wants His children to reach out to those round about them and to love them and to draw them into the family. And we've got to love people without judging them. Because remember, Jesus said this little thing that was so dangerous and so painful, it scared me the first time I read it. He said, if you judge others, I will judge you by the same standard you use against them. That's terrifying. Especially for me, I grew up in an independent Baptist church, and you know, they had their PhD in judging people. They look down their nose at almost everybody. I, I actually thought the Pharisees founded the Independent Baptist Church. They were so judgmental. And one day, I, in, in perusing through Scripture, I made a huge mistake. I read the book of Romans, and there in the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul throws this out. He says, knowing this, that the goodness of God draws you to salvation. Not fear of God. Not the concern that you'll burn in hell one day, but the goodness of God draws you. And and that's what people need to hear. They need to know that they're loved and cared about. They need to know that that they matter to someone. They need to know that, that even though they're a sinner, everybody is. All of us who are saved by the same grace... It's important for us to understand that it's part of the way that he grows you up to become what he wants you to be. Is reminding you of where you came from and how you got here. When I was in the restaurant business, one of the things that I would always do, and some people didn't understand this unless they had been in the restaurant business for years, Whenever I hired somebody and they filled out an application and and gave it to me, if they had had experience in two or more restaurants for over six months, I didn't hire them. You know why? Because they would want to do things the way they did them back there. And I wanted to train them in how I would do things. The reason is I didn't have time to unlearn their past and then learn their future. I wanted them to come in like a blank slate and let me teach them how to do what I saw their job was. Because I didn't care what they did where they worked before. And see, that's the way God is. He doesn't care what you've done before. Jesus' blood covers all that. And there's, there's not a place to lift up His blood and count sins. That's not important. What you've done in the past is... Could not ever be so horrible that it would set you aside from the blood of Jesus. Jesus died for every sin you will ever commit. And because of that, God says, just come to me, come to my son, and let our Holy Spirit enter you and guide you, and we will make you into what you need to be. First Baptist Church is not looking for people of different professions or socioeconomic backgrounds, or cultural backgrounds. We don't care about your your DNA. We don't care about your family tree. None of that matters. We just want you to be in the family tree of God's people, moving in the right direction. Let me tell you, everybody has a past. And everybody has things that they wouldn't want to discuss with others. That's a part of life. Jesus said your sins are remembered no more. Let's remember that. The second thing we need to realize is that Jesus expects us to see through the self-piety in some people, especially like the Pharisees, without retreating from what we need to do. One of the early problems with young Christians when they come into the church and begin to get involved in work is they begin to see people that are pious and self-righteous. And I remember early in ministry when I would have a young convert and they'd begin to look around and, and, and what they saw as the senior members of the church, some of them may have not been what they expected. And they'd get discouraged and I would always take them back and let them read about Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not represent everybody. But they represented a group within those who were believers that were Jews. And they were very pious. They loved for other people to see what they they were doing. They wanted folks to understand that they were important. They followed the law like you would follow the directions for putting together a complicated toy. In fact, as, as a child, I used to put together model ships and my brother would put together model cars. And uh, we, we got familiar with the smell of airplane glue early on and that you do not sniff that for long. I can remember one occasion when we were about six and, and my brother looked uh, rather frosty-eyed, as my dad said. And he said, y'all need to get outside and do that. But when you put those together, you have to be very careful because if you put a very complicated model together and you look down in your box and there are four pieces left and you don't know where they go, now my brother would throw them away. I would get frustrated. I'd get out my X-Acto knife and take everything apart and start over again. Sounds like your husband, doesn't it? I knew that something was missing somewhere. And you know what? In in people's lives sometimes... You know, they think that that's what Christianity's like. That you, we just need to put all of our puzzle pieces together and we're fine. And then we look to see if other people have their act together. No, that's not our job. Our job is to realize that we can't put ourselves together, we can't fix us. A person that has no education, who has no ability to read or write or discern anything, They can rob someone, and they they will rob because their nature is fallen. But you take that person and you give them a good education. You send them through high school, get their diploma, send them to college and get one or two diplomas there. And if their heart doesn't change, they'll swindle the corporation they work for because the sin nature is still there. The fallen nature is there. Remember back in the 60s and 70s when these brilliant scientists told us, oh, the problem with America and the poor is education. If we educate them, they'll be fine. A lot of good that did us. We should have read the book. Until the heart's fixed, the head really doesn't matter. A criminal is a criminal in their heart before they're a criminal with their hands. And you've got to fix the heart. And that's why it's so important that that we look at people and love them. Don't get righteous and pious. Don't ever look at somebody and say, Oh, I, I would never do that. All of us have the potential of dropping to any given level if the grace of God was not guiding us. We need to look at that person and say, God, give me a way to reach them, to pull them away from from what's tearing them apart. Matthew 23, 15 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea and win a single convert, and, and when he becomes one of yours, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Think about that. Think about God telling a religious leader all you can replicate is the mess that you've made in your life. You don't know my father. Pharisees were given everything. They had the book of the law. They had all the history of the prophets. They had the stories that were told in the synagogue. They knew them by heart. And they also knew there was a Messiah coming. And they were given a very distinct description of what he was like. And they missed him because they were looking for something like them. And it simply wasn't there. Jesus wore workman's clothes. Because remember, he was a carpenter. He was following in his father's footsteps. We know for at least 30 years, that's all that he really would do. We know that in his ministry, he never put on the the priestly robes of the upper class. He didn't dress like the Sanhedrin. He didn't look like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He didn't care about that. He wanted to identify with those in the world. I'll never forget years ago, one of my friends came back and we taught Sunday school. I taught the 12-year-old boys and she taught the 8- to 10-year-old girls at the church we were members of, Second Pastor Leon Baptist. And I'll never forget her coming out in the hall laughing. And I said, what are you laughing at? And she said, one of our little girls raised her hand And said, why was Jesus so mad at sinners and republicans? She said, I just don't understand it. She said, no, that's not what it says. It says publicans and sinners. He wasn't mad at them. He was disappointed. Because they had the extra knowledge to be different. They had the opportunity to change things. They were the change agents. And they had not even changed they had fallen victim to all that Satan offered to them. But lastly, I want you to realize this Jesus emulates for us the need to minister to all who are broken. We forget that in so many ways. Here's a danger in our life today we have to be careful to, to not allow the cable news networks to desensitize us to the suffering of the world or even the sadness in Selma because we're the antidote. I don't care how much grant money you bring to Selma, you're not going to change hearts with it. I don't care how many people you bring in here and put them on the bridge and let them sing. I don't care who walks over or marches wherever. Until you have an encounter with the living Christ and you understand that without Him you are nothing, only then will you be changed. And we're given that right and privilege to share that. And we have to do that. And so don't get, don't get frustrated and say, oh, the world's falling apart and everything. You know what? We, it's always been falling apart. We're here to help put things back together. As Renee was telling our little ones, and I tell you, when she finished over there, I thought we were having episode two of Left Behind. I mean, I, saw, I thought, my goodness, she got lost in a hurry. They, need to, they probably need to just get a basket of candy and tell them to follow them over there because they definitely have sugar in them when they leave over there. But one of the amazing things is we are that salt. But salt was not just to, to influence food back then. Jesus said we're to be salt and light. Salt was a preservative of foods, but it also was something that was used to kill poison and disease. It doesn't sound pleasant to rub salt in a wound, because that's kind of a negative connotation, but salt would, would kill bacteria there and it served a purpose salt preserved food and light will protect you where darkness will destroy you and when Jesus said we're salt and light he meant in our relationship to others we need to make a difference to them Jesus emulates for us the need and we must minister to those who are broken The one who really does the work is God. It's not us. Please don't tell me that that you don't go out and share your faith and worry about that because you don't know how to or what to say. All you have to do is move and the Spirit of God will give you the words. It's amazing how He works. Paul said to the Christians in, in Corinth this. He said, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God called you and used you. And that's what we so often forget that God does. He uses people who feel like that that they're helpless and hopeless, but He knows how to change who you are and make you into what He needs you to be. I've had many people say, I've spent my life trying to live for Christ and, and... Yet what they've done is they've lived for themselves. If you live for Christ, you give yourself away, you help, you hope, and you heal. And you guide people and you say, I'm not the best at it. Well, if you're faithful and say yes, you're important. Someone asked me years ago why... Was Abram chosen by God? And that's one of the profound questions, I think, in the Old Testament. Why did God choose Abram? And the best that we can deduct from reading Scripture and and, and those extra biblical writings that deal with that God called out to Abram, but something remarkable happened. Abram answered. We're not told how many people he called out to. He may have called out to one or two or three or a thousand. But we know this. When Abram, when God called out and said, Abram, Abram, he answered and he followed. And that's what made him remarkable. Levi was a tax collector. He had the worst reputation of anybody. If you'd read his resume, you wouldn't have touched this man. He probably was involved in more scandals than anybody. But Jesus saw something in him. You know what he saw? He saw a way to infiltrate the tax system in that region. Can you imagine Levi walking in there one day and they're all talking about how they got this amount of money and they took that amount, and he looks up at him and he says, Hey, I'm here to tell you a little bit about Jesus and how I got changed and how I'm not a hoodlum anymore like I used to be. I guarantee you that cleared the room in a hurry. But Levi was changed. Does Jesus really want difficult people? Yes, He does. I only, I only use a phrase from, from computer nomenclature, and this is an important phrase, user-friendly. That's what Jesus is. He's user-friendly. He's not going to say, memorize these sentences and say these to people you encounter. That's not what he said at all. He said, as you are going, tell them your experience. That's all. Tell them what you've seen, heard, and felt of Jesus. Tell them how Jesus changed your life. Speak in words that they'll understand, and and then it will penetrate their heart because the Holy Spirit will be guiding your words. you want Jesus to change others as He's changing you? Do you want to be a part of that great family that makes a difference? Some people say, you know, that, that sounds like a good idea, but, but that may be true for other people, but it's not for me. I, I, I don't need help. I'm not that person. God and I are good. Everything's okay. I've had a lot of people over the years say that to me and in, in, In the end, when they're facing the ultimate reality of death, they often panic because they realize that they weren't good with Jesus. What they were saying was, well, Jesus has left me alone, I've left Him alone. And what they've done in their life is they have literally seared their conscience so that the Holy Spirit could not penetrate them. They've said no every time God said go. And over time, they got used to the noise. Have you ever noticed that? You can get used to a noise that bothers you. When I moved here, where we live, behind us is a train. And it comes through at certain intervals. And um, one morning I woke up, not because of the train, but because I didn't hear the train. And guess what? The train didn't go through that day. Something had happened. You can get used to a negative sometimes and tolerate it. Being insensitive to others is a big one. That's when Satan wants. He wants you to come and go out of this church and never respond to those who are broken and hurt. I was standing out here one day, and I won't tell you who it was, but a a person was moving out of the parking lot here, and someone cut up there on on, uh, Dallas Avenue. They came around Broad Street too quickly, and the person said a less-than-Christian word out the window. And the man standing next to me looked over at me, and he says, Well, I guess that sermon didn't work, did it? uh, That's humanity. We move from here out there, and suddenly, immediately, we're on the mission field. Are we making a difference? Are we changing the world? There were two young men that were trained in a shoe business. And they were to be sent somewhere around the world to serve. Both of them went to West Africa in a growing area where Christianity had just become very popular back in the 60s. They both were there for a long period of time. One of the young men called home In three days, and he says, I'm giving up. There's no one here to wear shoes. They're all barefoot. And he left, and he went home and started over. But the other young man, having a sense of God's calling and what God can do, was so excited, he told his division manager, you know what, you need to have the biggest warehouse of shoes you can get because nobody here wears shoes. And when I get through, they all will. That's the attitude we must have as a Christian. We need to meet the need that is there. We don't need to get discouraged. We have the light of the world within us. And the darker it is, the brighter a light will be. And God's called us to be that bright light. Are you prepared? He's calling you. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. That you love us. And you didn't simply promise to make things good in life or tolerable. What you said was, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And you didn't say that I'll let you watch me as I harvest those who I'm calling. No, he said, you will harvest them. You will share the good word. You will give the direction. You will pray for them and then you'll disciple them. And after that, we will be blessed by what happens. Father, I pray that we would understand even now the importance of what You called us to do. That we would realize that we are the hospital. We are to assess the needs. We are to mend the broken. We are to make strong the weak. We are to do the rehabilitation in discipleship. And we are to bring them side by side with us on the field of battle to serve. God, help us to be challenged to do that. Change us even today. And Father, let us get a glimpse of what you would have us to do fully and totally. For without our fulfilling our destiny, Selma, Alabama, the United States, and this world will never be what it should be. May we be found faithful. Lord, speak to someone today that has a decision to make, to follow you and to be obedient. Give them the strength to make that decision and to follow through and help them to understand the importance of coming forward when they make a decision is the accountability group that they're surrounded by that love them and that will encourage them and that will equip them to fulfill their destiny as a follower of Christ. God, give us that wisdom to make that decision today. And may we be found faithful even in these first notes of the instrument as we sing the invitation hymn. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.